0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, all our Torah Anytime uh, viewers. Tonight we're learning Leilu Nishmat Yecheskel Ben Abraham. And also a reminder for whoever wants to join us on Thursdays at BJX at 1601 Quentin Road. And also a reminder for whoever comes to our classes from the online world. We will. Uh, well, I shouldn't say we. I will not be here uh, for the next uh, two Thursdays. The Thursday after the next two Thursdays, through the calculations. Pesachim will be back on schedule. Okay, so now let's try to go and understand what does it mean to have emuna. What is what is the you know the the, the definition of emuna? Something that's so what everybody knows emuna. Everybody so much so that even people that are not. Well, I can't say not Jewish. Even people that are secular, they know what emunah means. It's almost, it's like a very popular Jewish word. It's like almost like chutzpah, right? Like everybody knows a certain word. They know what it means, but when you define it, people define it as what? It's faith. But really that's not the correct uh, definition for emunah. But before we get to the definition of emunah, we have to understand some, so, you know, a, a misconception regarding emunah. There was once a person who was on a ship and he was, and he got, uh, uh the, the ship got what is it called when it gets, uh, capsized? thank you. The ship was capsized. And everybody grabbed something and everybody floated away to, to their own, you know, wherever the waves took them. This one guy was sitting by himself, floating on a, on a piece of wood. And he's sitting over there and he has a munah, he has bitakhan, and suddenly he sees, you know, there's a little boat that comes past by. And there are a few people on the boat that are like, you know, are you okay? Is everything okay? Come, you know, like, come on the boat, we'll save you. And the guy's like, he's like, no, 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 I'm okay. I said, what do you mean you're okay? Like, you chose to be floating on a piece of wood? Like, come, we'll save you. And he's like, no, 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 you know, I'm fine. And the boat's like, okay, whatever, you know, like, how are they going to force him? So they keep on going. Then, a few hours later, a large ocean liner passes by, and they see him over there, and they put him on the microphone, like, come on, we'll save you, come on the board. They throw him this, the... What is it called? The donut? They, like whatever. They throw it to him and he's just looking at it. He's like, it's okay. I don't need it. I'm good. And they're like, are you sure? You're floating over here. You, you know, your, your clothes are ripped. You obviously do need to be saved. And he's like, no, no, no. I don't need it. And then this boat leaves. A short while later, a helicopter comes out by. The Coast Guard comes by, sees him floating over there. They drop down a, one of those rope ladders. And he's looking at it and he's like, you know, you know, like, it's okay. It's cool. I got it. I'm taking care of it. They try as much as they could. They say, you know what, this guy he wants to be over here, fine, and they, and they go off. A short while later after that, he passes away, because, you know, he's sitting over there in the frozen waters. He has nothing, to, you know, so he ends, up, he ends up passing away. He gets up to heaven, and an angel goes and asks him, he's like, why did you refuse help? You got help three times, like, why did you refuse the help? So this man goes, says, what do you mean? He says, I rely only on God. I don't rely on people, I rely only on God. So the angel goes and says to him, he says, who do you think sent you those three people? Who do you think sent you the boat, the first boat, the second boat, and the helicopter? It was God that sent you. No, I only rely on God. So that story, when you think about it, it'd be like, there are many times in our lives that we consider ourselves to have emunah, we have a betachon, and then when something comes our way, and something that comes our way that could be benefit to our way, but maybe we have to, you know, get some help, maybe we have to go and put ourselves in a vulnerable position, be like, no, I rely on God only. Like, who, who sent you the person to help you? So we have to understand, there's some people that they think they have a high level of munah but do they have a high level of munah Do they know what they're talking about? What is munah to have a high level? The other question that we have to deal with is, let's say you have a munah Does God save you every time? What about those stories that God doesn't save you? So, there's lots of story with the altar of Nevaerlech. That he used to go and learn in seclusion. He would go into he had a special hut in the forest, and he would go and he would learn in that you know in that hut. And at times he would learn with a chavuta. He would learn with a with a student rabbi, another you know another righteous person, and they would learn throughout the night. One time he was learning with his students, was also a rabbi, and he's sitting over there and they're learning. And the student goes and sees that the candle is getting lower and lower, and it's getting it's starting to flicker. And the student goes over to the rabbi says, Rabbi, you know the 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 fire is going out. So the rabbi was like, Yeah, don't worry about it. And they continue, continue learning. And a few minutes later, the fire goes out. So the students like, you know, what should we do? Like, we don't have a light. He says, don't worry about it. I'll go out and I'll get another candle. And the students thinking, he's like, wait a minute. It's like we're middle of the forest, in middle of the night. Like, who is traveling? Who? There's no candle salesman. You can't Amazon direct, you know, like, and instantly to go and and pass by some some sort of, of merchant that deals with some sort of candle. He says, where is he going? And if he would go and he would walk into town, that would take him a full, till till sunrise. But he didn't ask any questions. And the rabbi goes out. The rabbi goes out, a short while later, a few minutes later, he comes back with a candle, puts it in the candlestick holder, lights it up, and they continue learning. The student's like, what? Where did you like he couldn't even like get anything out because the rabbi was nonchalantly. He just like put it down in there and they just continue learning. And the students always wondered like what happened with this. And you notice that when the they they learned until the sun came up, then the rabbi turned off the fire, took the candle, put it in his pocket, and you know they went back to uh, they went back to town. So it always bothered to the students like what what happened with that? What was going on with the how did he get a, how did he get a candle in the you know the forest in the middle of the night? A short while goes by, and the rabbi is giving a speech. And the rabbi is giving a speech about emuna. And he goes the rabbi goes into his pocket and he says you see this candle he takes out to the students and he says this is the candle that showed me what it means to have trust in Hashem. So he goes and he says one time I was going and I was studying with a student. In the forest, and the candle came out. And it was the middle of the night, and we needed another candle. And I was thinking, like, where am I gonna get another candle in the middle of the night, in the middle of the forest? So I decided, you know, The well, Jew needs a candle, a Jew goes out. So I went out, looking for a candle. It was only a few minutes that a wagon just happened to pass by. And I go over to this wagon driver, I says, do you by any chance have a spare candle to buy, that I can buy for a few? And this wagon driver says, in fact I do. And he's looking at the candle, he had a spear candle, and he says, listen, I'm going to go and give you a candle in the middle of the night, he probably really needs it. So he says he gave him some exorbitant price, he raised the price of a candle, like extremely high. And the rabbi's like, wait a minute, if God is going to send me a candle, I don't have to pay a lot for it, I could pay, you know, market price for it. It's the middle of the night in the forest, he thinks that he's going to be able to get it. So the rabbi goes and says, no, well, I'm going to, No, you want to pay for that? Not interested. And he starts walking away. And the wagon driver goes, Ooh, you know, no, come, 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 back over here. He comes back and says, okay, fine, I'll sell to you at regular price. He went, he took it at regular, you know, at the regular price, and then he went and he brought back into the, um, into, you know, into his, into his study, into his little hut, and they continue and they continue learning. Why? Because what was the rabbi's thought process? If a Jew needs a candle to study Torah, then a Jew will get a candle to study Torah. That was the process. You have, you know, the, there a, the, the famous stories of Reb Zusha and Rabbi LeMelech that they lived in 18th century in Poland, and they used to very often wander from town to town. And when they wandered into one particular town, there was a certain non-Jewish peasant that sort of, let's call it, caused up trump charges on these rabbis, and it caused them to go and get (laughs) thrown into prison. And they're sitting in in the prison cell, and all of a sudden, Rabzusha sees his brother, Rabbi LeMalach, sitting over there and crying. And the brother goes over to the other brother and says, why are you crying? He says, what do you mean why I'm a crying? It's time to pray. And we, and I can't pray. He goes and he points, there was a bucket of waste that, you know, nowadays, even nowadays in the, in the prisons, you have at least a metal toilet that you're able to go. Over there was a bucket. That's what you're able and he says, if you, you know, we can't pray in front of foul smelling odor. And there's a foul smelling odor bucket over here we can't pray. And he started crying. He says, I, you know, I've never missed a prayer in my life. Now I'm going to miss a prayer. So Zusha, one of the, the other brother, goes over to Rabbi Elimelech and says, Why are you crying? The same God that told you to pray is the same God that told you not to pray when there's a situation where there's a foul-smelling order. So just like you serve God when you pray, you also serve God when you listen to Him when you can pray. And all of a sudden, Rabbi Elimelech was like, Wow, he says, I've never had this type of relationship with God before. I've always had the relationship that I had to listen to, when I, Never now that I have a, an opportunity of a relationship where I could listen to Him when I'm not able to do something. So I don't listen to Him. So they were so happy, these two brothers, from the, from the type of relationship they had, they started dancing. They started jumping up and down and they were dancing. Now what happens, if you're in a situation, right, and you just see someone laughing hysterically, you could be in a really bad mood, but the more that they laugh, even if they're crazy, you just start laughing. Like, you, you can't hold yourself back. Like, it's, it's contagious. You know, there are certain things that are contagious. Happiness is contagious also. Sadness, unfortunately, is also contagious. You see, there was a prison full of non-Jews and these two Jewish rabbis. And they're sitting over here and jumping and dancing. So what's going to happen over here? All the non-Jews see it. They're like, all right, yeah, what are we partying about? You know, like, what's going on over here? And they're pointing to the bucket. And they're like, yeah, and they're pointing to the bucket. And they're, like, dancing. They're pointing to the bucket. And they're dancing. And the non-Jews are pointing to the bucket. And they're and and dancing. And everyone's dancing in a circle over here. The guards hear the commotion. They come running in, They'll be like, what's going on over here? And the non-Jews were like, we don't know. You know, we're just like dancing. Why? I don't know. There's a bucket. You know, like, and the rabbis over there are dancing, and there's a bucket, and no one knows there's a bucket. And the warden's like, stop dancing. And imagine if you're laughing really, really hard, uncontrollably. You know, like you're crying, right? So, uh, mascara, right? You're, you're a horror situation, and you're sitting over there, and they're like, stop. You just laugh harder. So the warden's like, stop dancing, everyone stop having a good time. And then they like they couldn't stop. So finally the warden's like, Wait, that's what you're dancing about? So that's what these rabbis are dancing about? Give me the bucket. They took a the bucket, they threw it out, they put a fresh bucket in there. As soon as the fresh bucket came in there, the Rab Zusha goes over to Rabbi and says, You know, my dear brother, now you could go pray. And he went and he started and he, you know, and he went and he prayed. But those are nice stories. Those are stories that we hear all the time. But what about the stories that the people that have a munah, the people that have bitachon, and it doesn't end that way. It ends bad. You know, the person unfortunately passes away. The person gets sick. The person... You know, there's so many situations in our life when we think we have a munah, We think we have bitachon. We think we go, go and accomplish so much and the story doesn't end as a happily ever after. So... The Chaz goes and says, he has a, you know, and he goes and he says that there is a very, very large misconception. There's an old misconception that people think there is an obligation to believe that in any situation, if a person finds himself, if there is a positive situation and there is a negative situation, that automatically, he, for sure, the good situation is going to come out. That's the way that people tend to think. And if somebody doesn't think that way, then people mistakenly think that he's lacking faith in, in God. Says the Chaz absolutely not. Since, since we don't know, through prophecy, what the future is, how do you know it's going to be good? Maybe it's going to be bad. And and we know that really what's bad is really good, you know, in, you know as a kapara, we all could go through that thing. But like right now, like how do you know that if you're stuck between a situation that's bad and good, you have a munamidron, automatically it's going to be good. How do you know? You, you reveal through prophecy that you'll have that? Maybe not. So, the Chazanesh goes on and explains, what does it mean to have trust then? What does it mean to have trust in God? That means is that anything and everything that happens in your life is not arbitrary. It doesn't happen by just a random selection of, of, of random events that cause your life to happen a certain way that is. What it means to have a munah means that everything in your life was taken and controlled directly by God. God decreed everything and it's based off reward and punishment. And everything that God gives is based out of direct of direct justice. This is also that Ali ishar also brings this down as well. So, the Chazanish goes and says, we cannot be certain that God will certainly help you in a situation the way that you want to be helped. Because who said if you're worthy? Maybe you're not worthy. Maybe you're a wicked person. Why should God help you in that situation? So, we have a question now. The question is like this. Last week we spoke about that you have the merit, you have the opportunity. We spoke about through the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov says that if you go, and if you have a the khan that, that it could take you out of all, But even if you had a bad decree, it could remove you from that. We brought the skula of the Nefesh Chaim, Rav Chaim M'Velajin, the student of the Vilna Gon who goes and says that if you have in mind, Ein milvado, there is nothing other than God, and Hashem there is only God, everything comes from God, and everybody else is nothing and nonsense, then whatever happens, God will change it to the good. So we have over here a conflicting opinion. We have over here, we see over here the Baal Shinto. We have, we see over here on one side, you have the, 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 the Nefesh HaKhaim On, on one side, that you could change everything. And if the Chazanish says, oh, who says? How do you know? So how do you answer this, this question? So Rabbi Leah Parkov goes and answers this as follows. He says, really, the Khazanish himself goes and puts down the power of a The power of Munavidachon goes to, to the level that a person who has such a khan a high level, that person gets Wacha Kodesh. Like, that's the level, the power of emunah and So Khazanish doesn't argue that emunah and doesn't have a power. But rather, what's the argument over here, explains Rabbi Parkhoff. He goes and explains as follows. He says that it depends on the level of a person. So according to the Khazanish, if you want to go and change something based on your emunah, let's say you have a bad decree and you want to go change it, it also depends on the level of the person. If it's a righteous person, a person that's strong in God, then he has the power to go and change it. But a wicked person, who says that he has the, the merit to go and change it, says the Nefesh Ha'in, and, um, and the Baal Shem Tov, says it doesn't matter on the level of the person. Even if the person is a wicked person, but if a person has a munah and bitachon, if he has faith in God, then that in itself, that merit in itself, has the ability to go and change it. Now, we have a question that we have to follow up with that. And stay with me a little bit. That we see many righteous people that have the definitely the right level of righteousness that they should be deserving of reward and and the merit that they would have to, to avert the decree. But yet the decree still happens. An example was is, is written in all rabbi Tachon, a, a, a separate written by Yitzchak Dwek. He quotes Rabbi Chaim Pinchas Scheinberg, and there's a question that came to Rabbi Chaim Pinchas Scheinberg th- as follows: That in the Rambam. Maimonides, in Amore Nevuchim goes on, what is it, Amore uh, Nevuchim Guide to the Perplexed, goes on and says that, the Rambam goes and says at one point, that if somebody goes and, and thinks, thinks at a level that no harm can, will befall him, and it's only he has full trust in, in God, then no harm will fall him. But says, ask, this question was asked to Rabbi Chaim but let's look at Rabbi Akiva. Look at Rabbi Akiva. You talk, Rabbi Akiva was on the highest level of the Munabid. You know, Rabbi Akiva, Kodesh Kodesh, the highest level. You know, you're talk, talking about Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva, the the, the the Rabbi of Rabbi Shimon Baruchai. the Rabbi of the author of the Zohar. So you have someone on that level. Yet, how did he die? He was combed to death with an iron comb. It says he didn't have the level of the Munabidachon. He didn't have the level to go and get him out of that situation. How could you be, how could it be that you could tell me that if you have such a strong Imran Khan you'll be able to revert those, those evil decrees? You see over here righteous people and people in, you know, in your own lives. If you're a righteous person, you follow the law. you see that some things don't happen your way. So how do you understand that? So answers Reb Chaim Pinchas as follows. He says there's one level higher than what the Rambam is saying. There's another level. And that level is called Ma'alas Ha'afkada. That means is that everything when a person reaches a level that what makes God happy, makes Him happy. That's, that's a level above of what we're talking about over here in the Ma'ar Nebuchadnezzar. Meaning that, no matter whether you think it's good or whether it's bad. If God wants it to happen, and then you're happy about it. Where is this proof of this? Look at Rabbi Akiva. The Gemah in bachot page 61, goes and says that Rabbi Akiva always wanted to learn to know, how am I going to go and serve God with all your soul? How am I going to be able to do that? He wanted, he desired to serve God in a sense with his entire soul and entire his body. And what happened? He had this, he had the, he had the opportunity. The opportunity came to him that he had the opportunity to go and serve God with, literally with his entire life being. And he's, he, we know that he left the, this world by saying al- echad. By echad his, his soul left him. He was able to serve God to a level of what? But this is what he wanted. He knew that this is, this is what God wanted. This is what I want. I want to share with you a very famous story that happened to a person by the name of Valentin Patatsky. This is a story that happened in the 1700s. This is during the time when the Vilna Goen was was alive. Now, there was a Polish nobleman, very very wealthy, like one of the highest of, of royalty in the in, you know, in the Polish you know, in Poland. And he was very very close to the Catholic Church. Now, he had a son, Valentin, and this son went to study in university in uh, um, in college in Paris. And Somehow over there he got connected with with a rabbi. What was his initial? He, he learned through Catholic school and he learned a lot about the New Testament. He learned about the Old Testament, and he always had questions, and it, it just didn't sit right with him. And he ended up, you know, finding you know a person. He started asking questions about the Torah. The person's like, listen, why you know go speak to a rabbi? A rabbi will be able to answer you. Right? Direct him to the rabbi. And he started he started asking questions to the rabbi. And the rabbi answered him. But the rabbi was also hesitant to ask you know, it's not like nowadays where like it's you know a free country, you're able to go and speak about whatever religion you want. Back then it was it was a crazy punishment. If you were caught as a Catholic speaking to a rabbi for questions, it was a you know death penalty. So the rabbi was like, listen, you know, like here's the answers. But then he like kept on like brushing this person off. But then this this Polish nobleman, he, he kept on coming back. He kept on making more meetings, more appointments, and to the point that this this Valentine Patatsky, he went and he went over to this rabbi and he says, rabbi, I, I want to convert. And the rabbi says, listen, I, I can't do that. He says, we're living in you know in a country in a place that if I convert you, not only it's a risk for you, it's a risk for me also. He says, this is not a place where you can. If you really want to convert, he sent them to Holland. Holland has a, of a more lenient you know uh, um, rulership over there. If you want. I'll send a letter to a certain rabbi over there, you can go over there, and you can go to the conversion over there. So, he decides that he is going to go. Now, he can't go to his parents and say, listen, mom and pop, I'm going to go and convert to Judaism, because they wouldn't let him, you know, and they would go and turn him over to the government. It was very, very strict back then. So, he he goes and he runs off secretly. He runs off to Holland, and in Holland, he goes and he meets this rabbi, and they start learning together, and the rabbi goes and tries to say, hey, listen, why do you want to convert? Why don't you go and become a righteous Noahite? Keep the Sheva bin B'nei Noach, keep the seven Noahite laws, and that's it, you'll be a right. You have to go and convert and persecute it. It's so hard to be a Jew. Why do you need it? And this, this person was like, no, 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 he says, if, if it's going to take me to, the, to my last, you know, to the, to the ends of the earth, no matter what, I need to be a Jew. I want to be a Jew, and I want my last breath to be a Jew. He was very devoted into this. The rabbi saw that he was sincere, so he went and he converted him. And this person came under the name, his name was Avraham, and he was known as Avraham, Ben Avraham. The, this person, even though he had tremendous amount of wealth, he gave it all up for Judaism. He gave it all up to do and learn Torah. And what did he do? All day he sat in the Bet Midrash and he learned Torah. He didn't work and he didn't do anything. How was he supported? He had a few generous, righteous women that went and made him a few like bread and water cake and some, something to, to go and, and, you know, give him some support. And he would go and this is how he would support him. He would learn in day and night. He would sit in the Bet Midrash and he would learn non-stop. One day, he's sitting and learning. And this is when he traveled back to near his hometown. This is where he was in the same town as, as the Vilna And he's going. He's sitting and learning. And there were boys that were coming and they were making some trouble in the, you know, in the synagogue. So people very politely asked him to go and, you know, God, disturbing. Most of the people went out. There was one boy, like the leader. You know, he stayed in. And people kept on trying to go. Out. He wasn't going out. Finally, this, you know, Abraham ben Abraham goes over to him and says, "Listen, you know." politely asks him to leave, refuses. Politely asks him to leave, refuses. Until finally he keeps on disturbing, keeps on disturbing. So he gives him some sharp chizuk, some sharp rebuke to this boy. And he sends him out. This boy was very bothered. He goes over to his father. Says, Dad, you know what happened? He said there was this man in the bedroom of the Ashtar. I went and he kicked me out. And the man says, What? Who did that to you? And he says, the convert. You know, everyone knew that it was a convert, but everyone kept it hush-hush. Nobody would speak about anybody, because they knew if the, if the non-Jews went and found out that there was a convert living among them, that's, you know, that the, they're going to come over here, they're going to take him, so everyone kept it hush-hush. So this, this, uh, um, he was a tailor, this father of this boy, goes and he decides that he's going to go, and he's going to tell on, on the authorities, going to get payback, revenge on, on what he did to his son. And he goes... And he tells it to authorities, and authorities come in. They capture and they bring him. They, they, you know, they bring him to prison. They bring him to, you know, to court, and they even come. His parents come. The parents haven't seen him in years. Parents didn't no idea where he went. Now he had a big, you know, beard, big peyot over here, and the parents come, and they're like, "What happened to you?" He says, "Where were you?" And he says, and he goes and listens, and says, "I'm sorry that I caused you such heartaches of this. All I wanted to do is be a Jew," and he says, "Now I'm sitting a Jew. You know, I'm sitting and learning Torah. Uh, that's all I'm doing." And the government was so upset about, you're talking about royalty, uh, you know, also high in the Catholic Church that went and converted to Judaism, it looked really, really bad. So they started trying to convince him. He said, hey, listen, why don't you go and, and just renege, you know, like, go back on your conversion, come back to Christianity, we'll give you everything. You, you're, he, was, he looked like he was starving, you know, like he lost his weight, he was very pale. And he says, we're going to give you back to your royalty, you're going to have money, you're going to have everything and more, we'll just keep on giving you more. Just renege in it. And he says, no, I'm not going to do it. He says, I'm not changing my decision. I am a Jew. I'm gonna die a Jew. And they call his parents and they said, please convince him, talk some sense into him. And the parents tried to talk him, the mother tried to talk him, nothing doing. So they threw him into prison. And then the torture started, and they started torturing him. And if anybody knows what torture went on, if you it's it's you know you can't even begin to think of the torture that he went through. And he would not budge. He would not budge. Finally, they decided. That he's gonna get the highest level of punishment. And that is being burnt by the state. And he was, the, the schedule for the execution was set for the seventh of Siban, which is the second day of Shavuot in the year 1749. And he was okay with it. He was okay. He says, fine. I'll die. If it's, he says, I am not going to convert. If I need to die, then I need to die. The author of Yesod the Sharosh Avoda, which was Rabbi Alexander Ziskin, was present during the time when he was burnt at the stake. And he actually answered a to the bracha that you make before someone dies, Al-Kiddush Hashem. It's the Kaddish Mo Barabim. And he answered amen to this, to this, uh, and he overheard the conversation by the executioners going and telling to this, uh, to this Abraham and Abraham. And you could think about, like, an executioner is constantly going and killing people. It's gonna haunt them. Be like, these people are gonna haunt me. Who knows what they're gonna do in the next life? Who knows what they're gonna do in this life? You know, they're gonna come in and they're gonna go into my house. You know, who knows what they think about. So they mockingly, they told him, they're like, okay, so you know, we're gonna kill you now. Are you gonna come and you're gonna take revenge against us? This is what they, this is what they told Abraham ben Abraham. And he answered to them, and he says, you know, when I was a little boy, I was playing with sand. I was making like a sand castle, sand soldiers. And as I was playing with it, a bunch of other older boys came and knocked over all my sand, you know, my castle, my sand. And I knew my father's very powerful, and I ran crying over to my father. I says, Dad, look what they did to me. Look at these boys. They went and they destroyed my sandcastle. Punish them. Punish their families. And my father had the power to do that. But he didn't. Because he knew I'm a little boy. What am I going to go on? So I knew that when I get older, oof, I remember their names. Who am I going to take them back? But what happened when I got older and I got more mature? I was like, I'm going to go and do payback on something so silly, so, so juvenile as that. I couldn't care less about it. He says so too, he'll be here. He says, you're coming and you're killing me. You're going and you're going to cause me tremendous amount of pain. But then I'm going to come to the next world. And I'm going to come to the next world and I'm going to see what's really true and what's really false. And you think I'm going to come and worry about a few little sandcastles? He says, I'm not going to take revenge against you. And there's one other thing so fascinating that happened that they asked him, what are you going to do, what do you want to do to the person that snitched on you? The person that gave you over to the government. No, that was the person that literally gave him over. Another Jew. I want to quote for you what he said. And he goes over and he says like this. He says, if I have any zekhut, if I have any merit in olam ha'emes, in the next world, I will not rest and I will not be silent until I successfully bring the person who reported me to the authorities to olam ha'bah. For he was the one who helped me attain the great fortune of being burnt al Kiddush Hashem. Not only did he not have any hakbada, he did not have any problem with this person that snitched him to the government and caused the brutal death, he was like, I want to reward him. Because he's the one who gave me the opportunity to die al kidus Hashem. Now how many times in our lives do we have people that hurt us? And I can't get over it. I can't get over it. I know, I can't. I, as much as I want to, I can't. Can you have somebody that does you more pain and suffering than murder you? That burn you at the stake? That goes and gives you over to the government? What's worse than that? And not only did he not have any revenge, any hatred against this person, he's like, no, I want to reward this person. I want to go and give him the highest level possible that I can. He said, I'm not going to rest when I get into there. That's how... That Look at the level that a person can get to. He was burnt at a stake and the 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 government over there did not want his ashes to be taken. A bunch of Jews disguised as non-Jews went over and there was a guard... That actually stood guard around this person, Abraham and Abraham's ashes. And the the non-Jews went and they said, "Listen, we're going to pay you money. His mother wants to take the ashes." And they gave him a significant amount of money. And the guard said, "Fine, for the for the non-Jew, I'll give it to you." you know it's another you know another another noble woman. So they took the ashes and they went and they buried him in a Jewish cemetery, the Alpiyalecha, in the in the like a section of the cemetery which is like a high section for the prestigious people. And it said that the Vilna Gon, which was living during that time, and by the way, the Vilna Gon went over to him when he was still, when he was still in prison, and he says, I could save you. And he says, how are you going to save me? He says, I could save you through Shemot Akidoshim. I'll peek Kabbalah, practical Kabbalah, I'll be able to make it, then you'll come out. Do you want me to do that? And he said, no. I want to die Al-Kiddush He says, this is what I want. And he went and he died Al-Kiddush The Vilna Gon says, I want to be buried next to him. He died first and later the Vilna Gon was buried next to him in, you uh, know, you know, in, in the cemetery. Avraham ben Avraham. Valent if you want to know his English name is Valentin Patatsky. Oh no, it's like P O T. It's like in Poland, so there's like a C Z in there somewhere, you know, like uh, you know Patatsky. Yeah. So um, in any case, what's Emunah? What is having Imuna? Emunah means I want what God wants. What's going to make God happy? That's going to make me happy. Rabbi yeah, Akiva says, no, 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 I'll die al yeah, You know, this person, Avaham ben Avaham, die al It didn't all end well for both of these people. Both of these people are very righteous people. Very righteous people. So we see over here, what sometimes people mistakenly, you know, confuse that everything is going to go only according to the way that I want it. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Yes, Emunah and Bidukhan has the power to go and, and change decrees. 100%. The power of Emunah and Bidukhan has is it's tremendous. Just by the fact that you're in a situation and you have faith in God, that in itself is a big school out to help you. But it doesn't always mean that it's going to go and happen the way that you want. And people go and they think they have Emunah and Bidukhan. They think and go and they pray. And it doesn't happen the way they want and they lose they lose faith. But like, who says that you went, who says that this was supposed to be? You know what the high level is? The high level is, is after you have Emunah Abdachon. After you go and you pray. And if it doesn't happen, it says, if this is what God wanted to happen, and it did because it happened, then this is what I wanted to happen. That's the high level. That's what Emunah really means. The Quts was asked, what is the definition of Emunah? Now that we have a basic understanding of how, what the proper thought process of Emunah, let's try to understand the definition. So the Quts goes, and he says, it doesn't just mean faith. It means faithfulness. Faithfulness. Now what's the difference? What's this faithfulness? And he quotes a Pasuk in Tehilim. Chapter 33, verse 4. It says, Ki Hashem, because the, the word of God is very straight, ma'aseu bemuna, And everything, all of God's actions, deeds are done with faith. Now ask Rabbi Abba Matasio Solomon. He has a very interesting question over here. When a person goes and gets married, or a person goes and you want to give them a blessing, they're about to get married. What do you tell them? May you build a bayit ne'eman Israel. Ask, why do we go and bless this couple that's about to get married, that they should build a bayit, a house, ne'eman, of faithfulness, be Israel amongst the Jewish nation. What does faithfulness have to do over here? Build a, a house full of Torah, full of chesed, full of love, full of happiness, full of yirat Hashem, you know, yirat Shemayim, fear of heaven. What Faithfulness, out of all the blessings, that's what we choose to go and, and give them that blessing. You ever wonder that? We just say things. We say mazal we don't even know why. Everyone says, yeah, we'll say it also. You know, what does luck have to do with this? You know, and you go and you say, Bayit man B'Israel. What does it mean to build a Bayit Nehman B'Israel? So Moshe Rabbeinu, in this week's parasham, Moshe Rabbeinu grows up, and he goes and he decides he's going to go and look at the other Jewish brothers and sisters that he had. He knew that he was Jewish. He was in, in Paros, you know, palace. He was raised there. But he wanted to check on his brothers and sisters. So he goes and he ventures out. And what does he see? He sees an Egyptian man going and beating a Jew. And he's like, he's like, what? An Egyptian? I'm beating my, my fellow brother? And he looks to one side, he looks to the other side, he sees nothing, he goes and he says through, uh, you know, one of God's names, he goes and he kills this person, this Egyptian, saving this Jewish person's life. He goes and he buries this Egyptian in the sand. The next day, he goes out again, and he sees one Jew hitting another, two Jews fighting with each other. One Jew, you know, about to strike another Jew. And what does Moshe Rabinu come? He says, why do you want to go and strike a fellow Jew? And you know what this Jew who was about to hit another Jew goes and says? says, who made you the boss of us? He says, you're the what boss of us? He says, what do you want to do, you do? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? All of a sudden, after this, the Pasuk says in, in Shemot chapter 2 verse 14, Oh, the matter was known. Well, matter was known. So the simple interpretation means that Moshe killed somebody and he hid it. And now the people knew about it. That's a simple interpretation. Rashi says something else. Rashi says that based on the sarcastic reply, That this person, oh, now you're going to kill him like you killed me. Meaning that Moshe Rabbeinu realized that this person intended to go and tell him to the authorities. He's going to go and he's going to start, you know, snitching on him to, probably got to be a better word than that, tattletale, whatever it is, right? Snitches got snitches. You know, he was going to go and he was going to give over Moshe Rabbeinu to the authorities. What did Moshe Rabbeinu say? Now I know why the Jewish people are not worthy to be redeemed yet. And the question is, ask them at the sale of Solomon, like, what? The Jewish people were on the 49th level of tuma. They were so close to disaster, that if they would have fell a little bit lower, they would have been unredeemable. And, they, you know, it says they worshipped idols. They were on the lowest, lowest level then. And all of a sudden, Moshe Rabbeinu was wondering, why is it that the Jewish nation cannot be saved, and they cannot be redeemed? And then, realize that there were snitches among them, they'll be like, oh... Now, now I know that the Jewish people cannot be redeemed because they are go there are people that are going to go and are going to be inform on the, another Jewish uh, you know fellow Jew. What's so bad about being an informer? And the, the question is also so like someone who is ovadavodazarah an idolater, he could be saved, but an informer cannot be saved. So, answers Rabbi Matasiel Salman. It says we know in Nehemiah chapter nine verse eight it's referring to Avraham Avinu that. Why did God go and choose Avraham Abraham Avinu as the father of the Jewish nation? It says over there, and we pray, we, we, we say this in our prayer, You found in Avraham's heart, he was faithful before you. Now, he quotes Rabbi Eliela What does it mean? that he you know, Listen to the way that he explains it so beautifully. He goes and says, like, imagine you're walking down the street, and let's say there's a person that's a little, you know, he's got, he's got voices. You know, and he doesn't have any headphones. You know, and uh, he walks down the street. He's talking to himself. He does. rebellion Plan doesn't explain it like this. This is my whatever. Um, and he goes and he sees something on the floor. He's talking to it. He picks it up and he puts it in his pocket. <laughs> now, you're looking at that. Are you curious what he picked up? Not really. I mean, he could have just picked up spaghetti from the ground, for all you know. You know, and just like put it in his pocket. Like what? Like you're not really curious about it. But let's say you have someone who's very poor. A beggar who's walking down the street, sees something on the floor, he's normal, he's not talking to him, he's not doing, he picks it up and puts it in his pocket. Are you going to be curious about that? Mm -hmm. Maybe a little bit more, but not that much. Uh, Maybe he found a penny, a quarter, maybe a cigarette, who knows what he found on the floor. Not really something that would bother you. But let's say you're sitting over there and you're watching the parade, a parade of the king. You know, he's walking down and everyone's screaming, long live the king, they're throwing flowers, you know, whatever it is, right? The birds are singing, everything is amazing over there. There's trumpets, there's a whole huge parade. Suddenly the king stops the entire parade. He walks over to a corner, looks down at something, studies it, picks it up, studies it a little bit more, and then puts it in his pocket. And then he keeps on walking. Aren't you going to be curious, like, what did the king just, like, pick up? Like the poor person, the crazy person, eh, whatever, right? no, it doesn't matter. But a king who stopped everything and he picked that up, don't you want to know what it is? Like, what it, Did he find the diamond? Did he find something sentimental? Like what did he find already? Says Rabbi this is how Rabbi Elieplanin Solomon goes and explains this. And he says, you look at God, God had an entire world and he pinpointed one person, Abraham Avinu. And he chose Abraham Avinu to be the father of the Jewish nation, the father of the nation that is going to accept the Torah and is going to uphold the world. From the Torah. Don't you ever wonder why God chose Abraham? Why out of everything did God decide to choose Abraham? So, the answer is, is that you want to know why God chose Abraham? Because he was a man. He was somebody who was faithful. Now, Abraham was known for chesed. He was known to go and, and invite anybody to his house and give anybody whatever they wanted. He was known for achnasat for, Elohim. He was known for so many things. But, the fact that he was a Nehman, a faithful person, like, why is that so important? Why is that the thing that God decided to zone in on and say, this is why. This is why I'm going to go and I'm going to choose Avacham as a father to my Jewish nation. And even furthermore, when God wanted to go, when HaKadosh wanted to go and impress Moshe and Miriam about, about well, I'm sorry, about Aaron and Miriam, about Moshe Rabbeinu, what does it say? It says in Midbar, in Numbers, chapter 12, verse 7. It says, in my whole house, he is Ne'eman, he is faithful. He is someone who is, has faithfulness. Why Moshe Rabinu also is referred to as faithfulness, meaning a faithful servant? So the answer is, what, is, what does it mean to be faithful? What is the, the, the concept of faithfulness? Ne'eman is someone who is steadfast, who is unwavering, who is unfaltering. He doesn't move, He's very, very strong, and you know you can count on that person. You know that you can count on the fact that if this person said something... He's going to go through with it. Even God himself is known as Ne'eman. we know in Shabbat, page 119, it says, what does it mean when you say Amen? When you say Amen, it means, the, the initials is Aleph Memnun, meaning it's Kel Melech Ne'eman. God, who's a king, Ne'eman. He's faithful. He has, the, the, again, Emunah. What's this concept that's again again, that's going, speaking about Emunah? And why is this quality so important, so crucial? So, we know there's a few things that the Jewish nation, when they were in Egypt, they were worthy of redemption. Common ones, they didn't change their names, they didn't change the way they dress, they didn't change their language, they weren't promiscuous. The Midrash Tanchuma goes in Bamidba and says there's, a, there's another reason that's unfortunately not so commonly known. It's because they kept their secrets. They were able to go and keep their secrets. Now what does that mean? The Midrash goes and explains as follows, that God told Moshe Rabbeinu, his first message, he told him already what's going to happen when the Jewish people leave Mitzrayim. He said that it's going to go and the Jewish people are going to, are going to get the possessions, certain like valuable possessions from their Egyptian, you know, uh, uh, neighbors. And they said, you know, go borrow it and, you know, all these valuable, uh, uh, you know, gifts. And Moshe went and he told this to the entire Jewish nation. And this happened, the first message of Moshe Rabbeinu happened a full 12 months before they actually left Egypt. So a full 12 months they had this information. Now what happens if word has gotten out to the Egyptians that the Jewish people are planning on going and, and getting some valuables? What would the Egyptians have done? They would have went and they would have hid their valuables. They went and put it in a, in, you know, in, in a safe place. They went and put it in a, in, a, in a situation where the Jewish people wouldn't be able to go and borrow it and take it. But yet... The word did not go out. The word never went out. Now, why was it necessary for God to tell the Jewish nation a full year beforehand what's going to happen? And the answer is, God wanted to demonstrate the, the, the value of they have in their faithfulness, in their trustworthiness, in their emunah that they had. They had, did they have an ability to keep a secret for such a long time? Shlomo Amalek goes and says in Proverbs chapter 11 verse 13, it says, gossips go about revealing secrets, but those faithful, those of faithful spirit conceal things very important lesson for your life You're, if if you know somebody who is a gossiper someone who likes to chat about other people don't tell them your secret cuz just like they're telling you other people's secret if you tell them your secret they're going to go and they're going to tell other people you, you know your secret the people that are the opposite of gossipers those are people that are called faithful a faithful person this is somebody that will never give over something do not have the ability to go and keep a secret now People don't realize that, explains our Matthias, that you think by gossiping, so you damage other people. It says, yeah, you damage other people, Osha'Allah is a terrible thing. But you know what what's also terrible, which is extremely terrible, is not only you're damaging other people, you're also damaging and corrupting your own character. You're becoming someone who doesn't keep a secret. You're becoming someone who is not faithful. You're becoming someone who is not Na'aman, who's not trustworthy. Now, the heart of a Jewish nation with their relationship between them and God, is that we know the Jewish people believe in God. It says what? They believed in God. Now what was the qu- They believed in God. They saw the sea split, right? You don't have to be... Th- there was no atheist coming out of Egypt. They like, well, I don't know, it was a wind. No, there, nothing happened. Right? Everybody believed in God over there, right? Atheism happened when idiots came into town. Right? Before that, everybody believed. So you have over here that... Everybody believes. So why does the Torah say, aminu why, why, all of a sudden, What are they believing in God? They, Everybody believed in God. How do you not believe in God? They saw that, how the Egyptians, they were saved, the Egyptians were drowned. They were able to go through so many miracles, the Egyptians were not. They, they saw with their own eyes, the miracle. They had, they had so much miracles. So why did they believe? Why does it say, veyaminu? So the reason, you know what they believed? They believed that God keeps His word. That God is trustworthy. That God is ne'eman. God fulfills His promise. The, you know what the essence of the muna is? The e- essence of the muna is that God will keep His word. That what God promises, what God says, will get done. The Torah speaks about that when God goes and assures Avraham Avinu, that His offspring will be more numerous than the stars. It says in Genesis, in Bereshit chapter 15, verse 6, it says, he believed in God, and God considered this righteousness for him. What does it mean that he mean by He mean by he believed in God. He was talking to God. Like he believed in God, but rather, what he means is that it didn't mean that he believed in, that it existed in God, but he believed that God will keep His word. He accepted this as a fact. So the question now is, how do you take a concept that is knowledge and instill it into your heart, your heart that it is like you know like a fact? And the answer is as follows. The answer is, is that only a faithful person has the ability to trust somebody else that he will also be faithful. Meaning that if you're a person that keeps your word, then you could go and trust somebody else will keep their word. But let's say you don't keep your word fully. Let's say you keep your word 90% of the time. So then why should you trust that somebody else will keep his word you know, 90% of the time or 100% of the time? Just like you won't keep your word, maybe he won't either keep his word. So if person goes and allows himself the the flexibility of not keeping his word all the time, that person will not be somebody who could have full faith. And even if he goes and he thinks or she thinks, that you know what, I know I don't keep my word all the time, but God will keep his word all the time. I know that God will, I know I don't, but God will keep his word all the time. That is something that's called... Cold faith. Abstract faith. That's not deep inside. The only way that you could penetrate this faith into your, is if you are yourself are a faithful person. When you're yourself a faithful person, then you can have faith in God, you can have faith in other people as well. When someone goes and says, I believe with perfect faith that Mashiach is coming. If you're just saying that, then it's hypothetical. Maybe yes, maybe no, sometimes yes, sometimes no, depending on how you're feeling. But if you're a person that has complete, your word means something. That if you give your word, you go with what you said. Then you know what happens, and when you hear, when you learn something that God said, then you're going to be like, for sure it's going to happen. You know why we're required to have this belief even in the future? Have a belief that Mashiach is coming? To show you that if you're lacking in that, that means that you're lacking in something in yourself. It's not the fact that you're lacking it because intellectually you can't understand how Mashiach is going to come after you know, X amount of years or tomorrow or whatever it is that's going to come. That's not the reason why you're lacking. You're lacking because of you. You're the reason that you're lacking. And if, you have a, if you're lacking in, in some sort of emunah, that's because of a problem with you. Not because you don't understand it enough. Not because you can't comprehend it enough. It's because you are not a faithful person. The key to having emunah is being somebody who has the concept, the quality of, of Emunah. Now, 12 months before the Jewish nation left Egypt, God gave them a test. Here's a secret. Let's see if you're going to keep it or not. And all of a sudden, when they went, and Moshe Rabbeinu, even years before this, he realized that they couldn't keep a secret. When the one Jew went and told and and... and Snitched on Moshe Rabbeinu to the government. He says, Ah, Now I know why they can be redeemed. How are they supposed to redeem? They don't have the power of Ne'eman. They don't have the power of faithfulness. Now they don't have the power of faithfulness. Now I see that. So God wanted to test them before they went out to Egypt. Twelve months before they left Egypt, God gave them a the test. Says, Here's what's going to happen. Let's see if you're going to keep the secret. And they kept the secret. And that's why the al Tanchuma goes and says that's the reason. That's one of the reasons why the Jewish people have the merit to go and leave and leave Mitzrayim, leave Egypt. When we go to a Couple that's getting married, and we're telling them that you should build a bayit ne'eman beisrael. You know what we're telling them? We're telling them that you should build a house full of faithfulness, that someone who, you know, you keep each other's word. Because when you have that, then you have tu'ah, then you have chesed, then you have love, then you have happiness, then you're gonna have every, shaman, you'll have everything. But you don't want to know that the bedrock of everything is somebody, being somebody who is ne'eman. being somebody who is faithful, being somebody who has the ability to go and follow up with his word, with her, with her word. So now, when we go and we think about, what does it mean to have emunah? Emunah is, is such a, it, it's a concept that everybody knows, but it's so widely misunderstood. People don't understand the concept, and it's the foundation of everything. And we, we started off speaking about how important it is in your life that it will live you a worry-free life. We also spoke about in the last class that it has the ability to go and give you so much blessings that even things that you don't deserve, you're going to get. But the problem is, you don't know what it is. So when you don't know what it is, how can you have a munah? Emunah doesn't always mean that everything's gonna go the way that you decide that it's gonna go. Yes, we have to pray. Yes, you have the power of Emunah and with that has the power to avert decrees. But you know what to know what, the, what real Emunah means? That if this is what God wants, then this is what I want. And this is what's gonna make me happy. And this, cause this is gonna make God happy. And also, furthermore of that, what is that Emunah means? Emunah means faithfulness. Somebody that could go and keep their word. Now I wanna finish off with one, with one thought process that the thing is, should I say, should I, whatever, I'm going to say. The, there's a, it bothers me a lot that people come to me and, okay. let me finish that sentence. Not, that doesn't bother me. Um, that people come to me and they, and they tell me like this. They open up a book of Arimunah and they read over there that it says, or it says something, that it hints in a certain way that if I made a sin, then it must be that God wanted me to make that sin. Ah, because God made me the sin. And I'm like, no, that, that's, that's not correct. And be like, no, 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 that's, yeah, that's what it's written over there. That if you go, and if you want, and if, if you made the sin, so don't be so, don't be so, uh, worried about it. God wanted you to go and make that sin. Cause obviously it happened. So that's not a And we know that everybody has, you look at the Rambam, you look at Hilchot Shuvah, everybody has free will. God doesn't want you to sin. God doesn't want you to go and do a sin, even though that later you have the ability to go tremendously from that sin. Initially, God does not want you to do the sin. And if you did the sin, yes, it's your fault and you have to regret it, and you have to go do the tshuva on it. Because if you go, what's the problem over here? The problem, when I, when I heard this, I'm like, what do you mean? So if somebody goes, and he did a sin, and all of a sudden he reads that, oh, God wants him to do this sin, how could he do proper tshuva? One of the steps in tshuva is regret. How could you regret something that God wants you to do? So, the whole aspect of, of, of the chuvah process, you know, there's a third of it that just goes down the drain. How are you supposed to regret something that you originally was predestined, if we could call it to do that? Rather, no, it's not that way. That is incorrect. Really, the way that it's supposed to be is that God wants you to do only the best. Hakod God gives you, there's a certain things that's predestined. How tall are you going to be? How are you going to look? Who cool. are going to marry? Certain things. But ultimately, good or bad, wicked or, or or good, that all depends on you. And if you mess up, then you have to do tshuva on it. Don't blame God. Don't blame somebody else. Don't blame your parents. If you you, have to, you messed up, so fix it. And God didn't want you to do that. Yes, God knew that you were going to do it. Of course, God knows the future. That doesn't mean that God wanted you to do it. So we see over here, there's many concepts of emunan that is often misunderstood. And that's why... I don't know if I, if I mentioned that the way that I want to structure this series, Hashem, that we're going to be doing, is not just of giving you the information. is going to be a lot of stories in the series. A lot. And the reason and the purpose for that is, that it's not just about giving over information over here. It's not only about intellectual over here. Emunah is something that you have to become. It's something that you have to change who you are. And it's very easy to do that, through stories, through feeling, through emotion. Intellectual, we start off with intellectual concept. Then we have to change it into an emotion. So every time you go and you learn something about emunah, really if you learn something about anything, you have to go and start thinking, okay, now that I learned this, how do I implement it in my own life? So even though everybody has a wild imagination, an unbelievable imagination, but if I were to go and tell you a concept and then i tell you the story of what happened, and then the lesson I learned from that, all of a sudden you're able to plug that in easier to your life. So we started off with the concept that everything that God does, really God does, you know, the level of Unai is that whatever God does, you want. And whatever he wants, you want. And then all of a sudden we put in a few stories about the concept of Rabbi Akiva, of, you know, of, of, of different, you know, the good and the bad. So when you realize that, all of a sudden you're going to internalize it. And When you internalize it, that's really the purpose. These types of classes, and really all types of classes, it's not only about the information. The concept here is that you take it and you implement it into your own life. You change what your thought process are. You fix who you are. You get closer to HaKadosh Baruch But in order to do that, it has to go into the heart also, not only into the intellect. It has to go into both of these things and B'zalat Hashem with God's help through the course of this uh, series B'zalat Hashem will be able to get some clarity on what Emunah is to actually delve into the, into, into the, the, to the core of Emunah and implement that into our own lives and B'zalat Hashem when we have that we'll have only bracha only blessing only everything good okay any questions? So informers are no- so the question is should have, what's the level of an informer? An informer, a um, is someone that's very- it's, the, the Rambam says in Hilchotchuvah that it, he has no share in the world to come. It's a very, very, uh, bad place for the, an informer is very, very problematic. Just because he went and he forgave him doesn't mean that it's still correct. Now, at the same point in time, if someone does something to you, you the, the ultimate, the highest level is you should forgive. Now, it's hard for people. It's hard for people. This, you know, Abraham, Abraham was a high level. Um, but the question, if the question is, should you forgive somebody that done that? If you could, then 100%. You should forgive wherever you can. God works, give me that measure for measure. You forgive everybody else, kola someone who goes and, and goes past, he leaves his, his, uh, um, you know, certain, oh, I can't explain that. It's too short. It's too long gonna take me. But, but somebody that goes say, and forgives, then God will forgive you. So everything goes measure for measure. Oh, it's difficult. You did really bad. Not you. I'm saying somebody did really bad things. You know, and God want you want God to forgive you. So again, the ultimate yes, forgive anybody and everybody. It's hard. Some people have a very difficult time, but you, we have to work to get to that to that level. There was a, there was a story, in times of the Gemara, that somebody oh, was it times. I think times of that. That somebody went and and stole something from a certain rabbi, and the rabbi started chasing after him. But he wasn't, he was like, I forgive you. I forgive you. He's like, don't worry, you know, like, take it. I give it to you as a present. You know, like, take Don't worry about it. So like, that's a level, and that happened instantly. Someone stole something he runs away. What do you initially want to do? You want to take a baseball and throw it as far as, as you can, you know, at his head, and hopefully it will explode or whatever it is. But yet, the highest level, WAP, is you have people that they go and they, they run after and be like, no, no, I forgive you, I, to the, the second that it happened. So that's a high level, yes. We, we tend to, we, we should forgive people. And if somebody hurt us, no matter how hard we should aim, I know it's very difficult, and I know it's not the easiest thing to happen even initially, but yes, it should be your goal to go and forgive. Okay? Any other questions? No? Hazagabal. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.